to Taking the Party Out of Politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working, as well as it should be working, and what we might be able to do about it. Because by understanding a little bit more clearly how things are supposed to work and why they're a bit messed up, we might be able to get things to work a bit better. Perhaps even a lot better. This is a special bonus episode, providing you with a summary of some of the key ideas we've covered during Series 1. If anything here doesn't immediately make sense, or if you feel that you want to learn more about that topic, please go back to listen to the appropriate earlier episode. This is a little journey we've taken together about the systems and functioning of politics. Systems which we should all understand, because those systems affect all of our lives, all of the time. Left-wing or right-wing, intergovernmental climate change summit, or parish council Zoom meeting. And this podcast is about how we might be able to make those systems work a bit better. By understanding what is supposed to happen, by understanding why it isn't always happening in the way it's supposed to, and by understanding what sorts of things we might do to make things better. This is season one, in which we've been taking a look at how government is supposed to work, from the perspective of us, the voters. In season two, coming up soon, we'll be looking at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of someone trying to get elected and then trying to do a good job. Finally, in season three, we'll be looking at what we might be able to do to make things work a bit better. Now, before we move on to series two, let's just have a very quick summary of what we've covered in this series. This is season one, in which we have been taking a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of us, the voters. In the introduction, we had an overview of what the issues are and a general idea of the route that we were going to take through this and why this is important. In episode two, we started to think about why we have a government at all and the tacit, perhaps unspoken agreement which exists between those who do the governing and those who agree to be governed, what we call the social contract. Now, this involves finding a fair and equitable balance between being better off within a society, safety, the opportunity to work with others to achieve more than we could individually, and giving up some freedoms to do what we want, whenever we want, whether that's playing music really loudly, only washing if we're really in the mood, and not having to be friendly to anybody because nobody wants to be friends with a smelly person who plays their music too loud. It also involves finding a fair and equitable balance between the amount of tax we pay and the amount of benefit we get from paying that tax, such as new roads, a health service, a police force, and so on. In episode three, we discussed what we mean by the word democracy, along with other ideas such as consideration for others and respect for minorities. The majority doesn't always force the minority to do exactly what the majority wants to do, as long as what the minority wants to do doesn't really impact negatively on what the majority wants to do, at least not too much. We then moved from there to start to explore the particular form of representative democracy which we actually use, because all of us can't be involved in all of the details of every single little decision. To get around that problem, we elect representatives to study all the details on our behalf and to take the decisions for us. In episode four, 
we started to explore how the mechanics of electing representatives, and ultimately a government, well, how all of that is supposed to work, and why it isn't working as well as perhaps we imagine that it should do. In fact, perhaps why it is actually impossible for it to work, given the way in which the system is set up. How is it possible, for example, to be elected on the basis of a set of promises, your manifesto, what you say that you will do if you get elected, to get elected on the basis of a set of promises for which some people vote, but then once you're elected, how is it then possible to be fair and even-handed and to represent the needs of every one of your constituents, even the ones who didn't vote for you? On top of that, if at least a third of our elected representatives are MPs, are elected with less than 50% of the votes cast in their constituency, then how can that representative try to represent all the voters in that constituency? The new MP has promised a set of things which only less than 50% of the voters in their constituency actually wanted. To get re-elected, it would be reasonable for the new MP to try to deliver those things. But then the new MP wouldn't be doing a good job of representing all the other voters in their constituency. And even if the new MP had over 50% of the votes in their constituency, there would still be a large minority, still tens of thousands of people, who wanted different things. It's a pretty impossible balancing act. And then our governments, which since 1935 have not received a majority of the vote nationally, well, they're there to represent us, but since a majority of people actually voted against the political party which gets to form the government, well, then again, our government doesn't really represent us at all. We're still lucky to get good people, at least some of the time, who want to become MPs, and that's great. But when they are able to do a good job, it's mostly because they've managed to do so despite the system, not because of the system. Next, in episode 5, we explored the difference between Parliament and the government, and the different roles which each of them plays. And we looked at how there should be a balance between government and Parliament. Our government is quite a small bunch of our MPs, about 26 or so out of the 650 who are elected. And they are trying to set the agenda, to make a plan, to carve out a path to the future for our country. And Parliament which is all the rest of the MPs plus the 26 ministers who are in the government, Parliament is trying to check up on what the government is trying to do, trying to make sure that the plans have been well thought through, trying to make sure that everything has been taken into account, trying to make sure that avoidable mistakes aren't made, and trying to make sure that all of our interests have been taken into account. So the government is setting the agenda trying to plan a path to a better future for the country on behalf of the people who elected it. And Parliament is checking up on what the government is doing, making sure that it's all sensible, that it's fair, that it's properly planned and thought through. Or at least, that's the theory. In Series 2, we'll unpick some more of the reasons why that doesn't really work out quite as straightforwardly as that sounds. But the short answer lies in the fact that the same political party which forms the government also, normally, has a majority in Parliament, which is a bit like being both poacher and gamekeeper, making sure that the people who are refereeing on the VAR decisions are mostly already your supporters, already wearing your team colours and your team rosettes. Well, 
we wouldn't let that happen in a football match, you have to wonder why we let that happen in Parliament. There's lots more to explore on this, so we'll come back to that in more detail in Series 2. Finally, in Episode 6, we looked at manifestos and tried to work out whether we should be paying much attention to them and whether governments are entitled to make any real claims for the power of things having been in the manifesto before people voted for them. Just a quick reminder, manifestos are the lists of promises which political parties and their candidates give us when they ask us to vote for them. They say, if you vote for us, this is what we will do. It's one of the three ways in which we decide how to cast our one vote. For this candidate, rather than that candidate. For this political party, rather than for that political party. And for this list of things, which we think are more or less like the sorts of things which we think should be done. The political party's manifesto. In terms of the content of those manifestos, the best case scenario is that it's an honest list provided by the candidate and the party which is asking us to vote for them, setting out what they really believe they want to do, what they really believe that they will be able to do. Anyway, after the election, manifestos are then transferred into the Queen's speech, at least in theory, which is setting out what the government is going to do. Since we've just voted for that government, we should expect that most of what was in the manifesto then appears in the Queen's speech, and that most of it is then put into practice. However, the evidence is, at best, pretty mixed as to whether this happens. Some of it does, some of it doesn't. And some other things which weren't in the manifesto, well, some other things happen as well. So, should we be paying attention to what is in party political manifestos, those lists of promises of what political parties say they will do? The short answer? Probably we should be paying attention, but probably we shouldn't be letting the government get away with claiming special authority to deliver on a manifesto promise, just because it was one thing in amongst a whole list of other promises, all bundled together as one of the three things we're voting for, with the one choice which we get with our one vote. And where does all that leave us? In this series, we've looked at the five puzzles of political participation from our perspective as voters. The first puzzle is the impossible puzzle for voters. That puzzle is the impossible challenge which we are trying to master by trying to achieve three things with one vote. First, to choose a good local representative, who, second, is from a political party which looks as though it could form a competent national government, and third, a party which also appears to have a good set of policies, what we call a manifesto, to do the sorts of things which we think should be done. We're trying to achieve all three of these things once every five years with just one vote. We then also looked at the impossible puzzle for voting. This puzzle comes down to the fact that our first-past-the-post voting system means that it is the candidate with the most votes who gets elected, not the candidate with a majority of the votes. For example, if there are three candidates and one of the candidates gets 40% of the vote, whilst the other two candidates get 35% and 25%, then it's the candidate with 40% of the vote who gets elected. This is still true even if the other two candidates were both, for example, left-wing candidates, whilst the candidate with 40% of the vote was a right-wing candidate. In other words, although a majority of the voters 
voted for left-wing candidates, because 35 plus 25 is 60% of the vote, it's actually the right-wing candidate who gets elected, even though with only a minority of the votes. And of course, the same would be true if it were the other way around, with one left-wing candidate who got 40% of the vote and two right-wing candidates who got a total of 60% of the vote between them. The impossible puzzle for voting, then, is that we can sometimes end up electing the wrong candidate. Now, you might think that the left-wing candidates, or, or whoever it was who split the vote between two candidates, you might think that they played the electoral game badly, whereas the right-wing candidate played the game better. But this isn't a game. It's about electing the people who are going to represent us and who are going to take the really important decisions on our behalf about whether tax goes up, about whether we pay nurses more, or perhaps even about whether we send our soldiers to war. The third impossible puzzle is the impossible puzzle for representatives. Following on from how hard it is to select someone who is truly representative of us to represent us, how does a representative represent all the people in their constituency, not just the ones who voted for them? If you're elected on the basis of a set of promises, your manifesto, then only some of the people in your constituency voted for that manifesto. How is it then possible to be fair and even-handed and to represent the needs of every one of your constituents, even the ones who didn't vote for you? This situation is made particularly difficult by our first-past-the-post electoral system, in which in each constituency means that many of our representatives didn't even get 50% of the voters voting for them. But even if a majority of voters voted for the successful candidate, there'll still be a large minority who didn't. To be responsible to the people who voted for you, you should really deliver on what you said you would do in your manifesto. But to represent everyone in your constituency, you should also respond to the needs and wants of all the other voters, including all the ones who wanted different things and who voted against you. The fourth impossible puzzle is the impossible puzzle for representative governments. This is about how our national governments very often receive less than 50% of the national vote, which means that more than 50% of the people who voted actually voted against the government, not for the government. In fact, more than not very often, all national governments in the UK have received less than 50% of the votes since 1935. How can we claim to be living in a representative democracy if about a third of our representatives were elected with less than 50% of the votes in each of their constituencies, and then if our national government was elected with less than 50% of the national vote, with most people voting for other parties? And we also looked at government and parliament. This was our fifth and final impossible puzzle, the impossible puzzle for parliament and government. Government is trying to make things happen. Parliament is trying to make sure that those things are reasonable and that they're all in all of our interests. Parliament is trying to make sure that the government is doing what it promised to do and that the government isn't trying to get away with doing different things or trying to claim special legitimacy or special authority for any of the things which the government is trying to do. And just in case you missed it in episode 5, well, quick spoiler alert, this balance between government and parliament... Well, it isn't working out as well as it could do. The impossible puzzle for Parliament and Government, then, is that Parliament is supposed to be checking up on the government. But the same political party which chose the Prime Minister and the other ministers who make up the government, that same political party 
also has a majority in Parliament. Of course, that's why that party got to choose the government. But the impossible puzzle is that Parliament is dominated by the same party as the government which it is supposed to be checking up on. That's just not objective enough. We wouldn't have a member of the Arsenal squad refereeing in the match between Arsenal and Liverpool, not even if there was somebody that we really liked, like Thierry Henry. So why do we think that it's OK for the Conservative Party to be dominating all of the committees which are checking up on the Conservative government? Or for the Labour Party to be doing the same if the Labour Party were in power? Well, there's a lot more to say about this, and we will explore all of this in more detail in Series 2. For now, thank you for listening. If you'd like to access transcripts of this podcast, or any podcast in this series, please go to www.talktogether.info and follow the links to our podcast page. If you have any feedback, you can contact us at any time by emailing info at talktogether.info. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I hope you'll take the time to tell your friends. And perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people to find us, it also just really makes us feel appreciated. That would be great. Thank you.